Hey folks, it's us, podcasting wonderkins John Bishop and Lucas Southworth. Although this is a podcast about cars, it is not age-appropriate for the target demographic of these films, as we usually end up talking about the reproductive organs of Lightning McQueen. Alright, now let's take a look under the hood. Hello and welcome to the chat, the only podcast brave enough to ask the question. Hey, what's up with trains? I'm John Bishop. And I'm Lucas Southworth, the only podcast brave enough to ask the question. Hey, what's up with cars? Uh, <laughs> I just got to get it in there. You know me. Yep. Uh, how are we going to have brand awareness if I don't, you know? Fair enough. True enough. John, you're all right, though. It is a trains one this time, which we do enjoy. Mm -hmm. I still cite early first 10 episode, I think just titled in all caps trains as one of my all time favorites is good. So I'm happy to be getting into trains, John. But are we getting into specific trains? Are we going to physically become inside of a train? Uh, What trains are we getting into? If I had to just say first thing that comes to mind when someone says trains. Probably just Thomas. Mm. Second thing immediately after, like they're almost tied is God. Okay. And oh, now from here's our the personal thing. theories. Yeah, revolving. those aren't connected. Sure, 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 sure. Trains is the thing that connects them. But as as a uh, Tom Scott has informed me, uh, there may be more of a connection than I had thought. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. Let's say let's let's leave that as a lovely little lovely little appetizer and we'll get to the main course on that a little later, but it is concerning to me that I am one of the two people that makes this podcast where we have said that trains are maybe gods and you said the basically trains are maybe gods and I went, "What is he talking about?" <laughs> Fair enough, but also it's a lot to keep up with and if we've already introduced the idea of Thomas the Tank Engine, you're you're set up to think it has to be related to that and not the word trains. Sure, 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 sure. I, I was set up for failure, but uh, it's, it's it's still never a great feeling to fail, you know. Mm-hmm. Let's get into that. No, it's not actually. That that'll be bad for my psyche. Uh, <laughs> let's do a, let's do Thomas the Tank Engine instead. That's right. We are do. I think you asked in the last episode if people wanted us to do this, and JT did let us know you'd think i'd have this pulled up uh since i you know was very obviously going there mm-hmm. uh but i didn't and i'm not signed in on my computer so let me go on my phone instead and uh instead of vamping i'll just yeah. point out that this is time that we're using to find the thing that we're looking for it is and you know you need that time to find things and i have in fact found a found it JT did send us a message on Twitter saying, I would love a Thomas the Tank Engine or Engine story. Uh, they also have another suggestion of Bob the Builder. The vehicles from that are sentient. But I think we're going to mostly focus on Tommy the Tank. But 
we'll try to work it in there. I imagine though we could draw similar conclusions from both. We may we may just wrap it up with a bow. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. I will. But Bob the Builder, it's not only the uh, vehicles that are alive. It's also the tools. That sounds correct to me, uh, but I don't know that I'm up on my lore enough Mm -hmm. uh, to know that that's true for sure. So let me Google Bob the Builder characters. Immediately, I see a concrete mixer called Dizzy. Okay. uh, Which is sort of in the middle there, as you were saying. Now, part of me is terrified right out right now at the moment because I am thinking I'm convinced myself that absolutely I am wrong. I am, in fact, thinking of Handy Manny. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you are wrong. Uh, Voiced by none other than Fez. Really? From that 70s? Mm-hmm. Who also voices the father of Mirabelle in Encanto. I should know his name. I don't. And if you're wondering, well, why does he think he should know that name? You don't want to know how many times uh, Encanto has been played in my house. Wonderful film, but uh, children really will uh, enjoy something to death. Yeah, and not only that, there is a whole... And to be clear, I have all, I also can't, off the top of the dome, uh, place Mirabelle's father's name. Uh, but there is a whole song in it where she lists out the entirety of her family uh, yes. and their names. But... Here's the thing. I think she refers to her father as dad. Mm, that that would make sense. Yeah. Uh, especially because I've looked up his name. It's Augustin Madrigal. And the problem is, I don't remember anyone ever saying that name. Yeah, it's entirely possible. But like, I feel like I would remember Augustin. Yeah. And I'm almost certainly saying it wrong. Yeah, Augustine, but that's maybe? Because I cannot, for the life of me, remember someone saying this man's name. Yeah, I've, I've not heard it out loud in a, at least so far that I can remember. Yeah. But anyway, trains. Trains. So yes, JT, we will honor your wishes and John's pretty explicit wishes from last episode. Uh, and th- we're doing we're doing an origin, baby. It's been a minute. All right, Maybe. should we go ahead and get the obvious out of the way and just, like, rip off the Band-Aid? I think we should, John. It's magic. Yeah, there's magic. Uh, and, you know. <laughs> there is an official movie in which uh, there is, like, explicitly, hey, this exists in an alternate dimension, and there is a train that is, like, the source of the magic, and it's a creator, so it's a self-insert thing. And uh, magic exists, ergo, Propterhawk. Yeah. Yeah, that's the, that's as usual when there is magic, that's the easiest route. I, I think there is a fun connection of there is a train who is basically God, mm-hmm. uh, and we say trains are gods, and we could, you know, pretty easily extract from that uh, our specific vision of trains in the cars first. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, it would be pretty easy for the the god train to say, nah, everything's, you know, these humans, they're gone. I just like the trains. Yeah. And the cars, I guess. I mm-hmm. guess. Now, so that'd be, that'd be the easy one, John. Here is something that we can go down that I think is going to be our best bet. Okay. So in a, a world in which humans are either the subjugated class that are the manufacturer that live underneath the ground 
versus uh, they just don't exist. There has to be some sort of event or something that leads to this happening. And I think it's pretty obvious that this is a world in which it makes sense for there to be uh, an uprising. Yeah, this one, this was from the get go. Even me, who did not remember much about Thomas the Tank Engine, admittedly, before watching, and we should plug this because this is pretty much the extent of the research I did, watching a fairly in-depth Tom Ska video about Mm -hmm. uh, the lore of Thomas the Tank Engine. Thank you, Thomas Tom Ska Ridgewell. Yeah, it's pretty good. If you want to check out a more actually researched version of this podcast, do that. Uh, Mm -hmm. But he won't talk about the movie cars. But (laughs) even before that, I was like, well, I remember people in it, and they do the work for the people, and do they like that? And that was enough for me to get to uh, Rebellion, even before I learned of the horrors, John. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about toxic masculinity. I would, You know, yeah. <laughs> and how it relates to specifically these trains and their entire mindset. Sure. Uh this is a very strange approach to toxic masculinity conversation because oftentimes uh, you'll see that the conversation revolves around how does toxic masculinity affect others because of the man. But in this case, I'm wanting to approach it from more of the, and I know that there's this a controversial thing to say, but uh, more of a men's rights approach to it because there is a- an approach to this of, well, this is a world in which your value, how you even perceive your own value, is the usefulness that you have. You are not going to be loved unconditionally. You are not going to be loved unless you are useful. And that is very much true for these trains. Uh, there are plenty of men who that is not true for, and they get a healthy relationship with their parents and the people around them. But there is this pervasive thing in uh, American culture, at least, Uh, where you are taught and you are raised to think that if you're not a hard worker, if you're not providing as a man, that you aren't worth anything. And it's at times scary when you can't find work, you can't do something that makes you feel like you're worth anything. And these trains literally get punished if they have a day where they're too afraid to go out because it's raining and, you know, rain and metal don't always mix all that well. Rain and vehicles don't always mix that well. It makes sense to be afraid of rain sometimes. Thunderstorms are pretty scary in and of themselves. Men are like four times more likely to die because of being struck by lightning. That's just a fun fact. Uh, sure. It actually might even be uh, 20 times more likely. I don't. But yeah, uh, men are more likely to die because of lightning. But that's just a thing. Uh, and these tank engines. There's one named Henry. Named Henry. He's too afraid to go out one day, so he hides in a tunnel. And uh, because he's not a very useful train, they bury him alive for a year of his life. Yeah, it's rough. Uh, It's literally what John described, the story of Henry, uh, is that he just stops in a tunnel because he's like, hey guys... I don't want to go out in the rain. Uh, The story plays it as uh, a vanity story of like, he doesn't want to ruin his paint job. But again, as John's mentioned, rust is a real concern for trains. Not to mention, you know, 
I gotta imagine when it's raining, it's easier to derail. Uh, I don't know that factually, but it sounds pretty true in my head. I mean, and... if there's rust for sure, if there's uh, any sort of, I forget what the term is, but when the earth shifts beneath it. Oh, like erosion? Yeah, if there's yeah, any yeah. sort of erosion, that can cause some major problems. Yeah, so he stops at a tunnel, is like, I'm going to wait for the rain to stop, and then I'll go again. And they just can't get him out. So to punish him, John's right, they literally brick him into the tunnel and take away the tracks leading out to it. Uh, and it is revealed that he is let out, but it is literally a year after that. He yeah, is... it is. I, I believe it's the next episode, but in the canon of the story, they wait a year. Which is really bad. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff. And we got into a lot of the horror of being a train uh, and being, you know, removed from tracks uh, in our trains episode. It's the idea of you don't have much control at all because you do not control whether you go forwards or backwards. You go forwards for the most part. And even that, it's not I choose where I go at all. It's you're on rails. It is the most uh, cookie cutter D&D playing ever. You can't go off these rails because going off these rails means death. Yeah. And there are just multiple stories in the Thomas the Tank Engine canon in which either as a just freak circumstance or as a explicit punishment for not being a quote unquote in capital letters really useful train. That is a term that is thrown around a lot in these books and shows is a really useful train uh I thought it was very uh who knows i thought it was really uh <laughs> a really rather very useful train <laughs> yes they they just end up either you know through a landslide they are kept there for years and years where they can't move or i guess we can go ahead and get into smudger a really useful engine Okay, that's it. Do you know, you remember Smudger? I don't remember Smudger off the top. Smudger is even more horrifying than Henry for me. Okay. Smudger's it. whole story is, okay, it's an episode where these there are these two young impetuous trains who make fun of this old older train they refer to as Grandpuff, uh, who is like very slow and deliberate with his movement. And he says, Y'all better watch out or you'll end up like Smudger. Uh, and Smudger is apparently a train who liked to play it a little fast and loose uh, and would derail every once in a while. And they they said, hey, Smudger, you better stop doing this. And he said, no, nah, I'm going to keep doing things my way. Uh, and he derails one more time and they say, that's it. One of the humans, uh, the, the, the fat, Whatever. I can't remember what he's Mr. called. Mr. Top Hat? Mr. Top Hat, yeah. He says, all right, I'm going to make, since you won't be useful as a train, I will make you useful in another way. And he takes him off the track. He removes his wheels uh, and puts him walled up behind a shed and turns him into a generator. Yeah. Yeah. Where, as the show says, now he'll never move again. Uh, right. Narrated by Ringo Starr in Britain and George Carlin in the United States. Just a weird fun fact about the Thomas the Tank Engine narrators. They're both deeply famous. 
boy howdy carlin you would think would not be okay with reading that but okay yeah of all people but (laughs) of reading a story about uh oh here's the extreme capitalist view of if you are not really useful you will be forced into compliance and that's okay not even okay good yeah so there's this whole deep deep system of you need to be useful or bad things will happen that goes even further <laughs> okay i'm uh, just gonna share this on the wikipedia he is referred to as the fat controller yes the fat controller is what i was whose trying real to name is sir topham hat <laughs> that's really good that's a really good name for a character, is Sir Tom. He's Topham also Hatt. known as the Fat Director. <laughs> Alright. So yeah, there's that too. This is this is some conservative nonsense. Yeah, and the fat controller is like almost a caricature. He is could not be more explicitly like the Monopoly man in design. Mm-hmm. Which is bizarre to me. Because with the amount of, oh, you must work to be useful, you uh, have to do all this stuff, like, there is an argument of, oh, it's not actually capitalist, because it's, you can see that it's the government enforcing that everyone work the same, so it's actually a bit of uh, socialism. And then they, like, throw in, oh, the Monopoly man is this fat bigwig who is also in control of everything, and... No one wants to be that guy. Yeah, they even explicitly, which makes... The, Sir Topham Hat here makes me confused about what direction Thomas the Tank Engine actually believes in. Mm-hmm. Because in the story of Henry that we mentioned earlier, where we won't come out of the tunnel, uh, they explicitly point out that when everyone's trying to pull him out, Sir Topham Hat neglects to help because he claims he has a doctor's excuse to not do that. So they portray him as a lazy person who won't get his hands dirty, which is like, you know, a classic anti-capitalist trope of owners. But also, all their messages are, be useful or uh, society should punish and abandon you. Yeah. So, I don't know, man. (laughs) It's a weird show, end book, series. Now... Uh, I would be remiss to say that uh, the overwhelming majority of people or anything like that agree that it's a capitalist thing because there are clear studies saying that it's all about uh, Marxism and uh, communism. But well, it's, uh, let's see, from look left, cultural Marxism. And the Harvard Crimson has an article about how it's, the engines of capitalism and then there's a a deep study a deep dive so two sources of uh studying have completely different views it would seem and uh, this other thing uh from the most trustworthy source you can find reddit uh the repressive authoritarian soul of thomas the tank engine so it's all about authoritarianism rather authoritarianism i could get behind maybe but whatever uh and uh, apparently it's post-capitalist that's according to the guardian sure i mean there's they're still carrying around a lot of goods we can all agree it's fascist yeah i think i can but (laughs) and we can all agree that 
And uh, if you're a right-wing listener, I don't get how, but uh, we can all agree that uh, right-wing in America is strong leaning into fascism. Yes, we can. But let's see. Okay, let me... Oh, what I was going to get into, not even just the punishments are used as threats, like the non-lethal punishments. They constantly talk about their fear of getting scrapped, Mm -hmm. which is explicitly the idea of being killed. (laughs) And in the Thomas Tank Engine universe, there was even one character, I can't remember if this was in the Tom Scott video or an article I read, uh, who like was taken apart for parts for different trains. I don't know, man. It authoritarian and fascist makes sense to me with both of those contexts of be useful or you will be killed or made to be useful. Yeah, I was trying to think of the name of it. Uh it's very reminiscent of but also more extreme than somehow Repo the Genetic Opera. Mm. I just mentioned that today, but for different reasons. I've never seen it, but that yep. was the comment was, oh, should we watch that? Well, uh, there was a movie that has a completely different name. Forget what that is, but it's basically, hey, what if your organs didn't necessarily belong to you? And if you like were behind on your payments, people just came to take them back. Mm. And yeah. that's the uh, very late stage or post-capitalist society that this is presenting of not even their bodies belong to them. They don't get to choose where they go, and if they try to choose when they go, they will be punished. And uh, if they mess up one too many times, they don't even get to live anymore. Yeah. And it's also, and we'll get to the car stuff, but we, the fun of this episode is dissecting the madness that is the Thomas Tank Engine universe. Mm-hmm. There's also this crazy fear of the outside world that they have created on the island of Soder, I want to say, is where they're from. It's either Soder or Sonder, but I think it's Soder. Yeah, I think it's S-O-D-O-R. Yes. Uh, And Sonder is a feeling. It is. Uh, But, like, the entire world outside of Soder is steam trains are being replaced with diesel trains. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there is almost like a genocide of steam trains happening in the outside world, uh, or at least so they claim to keep the steam trains on Soder compliant uh, and complacent. Uh, I mean, original appearance of Thomas was 1946, so true to, true to form. So yeah, I don't know, man. So they, they say, well, you can't get it better than here because if you were to leave this island, you would be murdered immediately Yeah, uh, because you are not, in fact, as useful as the more useful trains. And for some reason on this island, we like the less useful trains but still want you to be very useful. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so very much, hey, uh, we we love you guys, but like, you got to prove that we're not crazy here. So do us a favor and like, do your job. Yeah, we're really taking a chance by letting you live. So always prove your worth or we won't be doing that anymore. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think we've, pretty well established that this is a world ripe for 
before an uprising. Yeah. And if they're not going to do it, we got to do it for them. Yeah. Yeah, we do. (laughs) All right. So we've explained why they should. Uh, We've mentioned very quickly how it would happen because magic. And uh, like, what else is there to go into, really? Uh, I mean, I think there's some meat on the bone of like, how did it become go from seemingly a train centric world to a car centric world mm-hmm. post revolution? Yeah. But I do want to explore another avenue to the how, mm-hmm. a very similar avenue but one that takes us by my favorite stop we go by, and that is, in fact, the Starlight Express. All right, let's go to the Starlight Express. <laughs> Choo-choo! Now, John, as I feel like I've I've mentioned, Starlight Express is deeply, deeply loosely based on the same uh, source material as Thomas the Tank Engine. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, of in, course. In that almost... Okay, I got to get into it. I've said it before. But the Starlight Express was sort of came together through three separate failed train-based projects that Andrew Lloyd Webber was in, uh, all within the span of a few years. One being he tried to get an animated version of basically Thomas the Tank Engine uh, called, I think the books are called the Railway Series. Mm. Uh, He did a failed, like, novelty pop song called engine of love uh with a singer who could famously sing three notes at the same time so when he made the train whistle it sounded like a real train whistle uh it's actually really cool to listen to but the song did not take off too much uh and he was also brought on to do uh a scrapped version of an animated cinderella adaptation where they were all trains (laughs) And from the scraps of those three things rose from the ashes, the Starlight Express. Interesting. So it's tangential, but we could consider it as a possible can't like. You could you could make the argument that canon and Starlight Express could be at least argued for to be canon in the Thomas the Tank Engine universe. Yeah. Uh. And in the Starlight Express, there is the concept of the Starlight Express, which is explicitly a train god. <laughs> it okay. is the god of the trains. So that means that we have, at this moment, two different like confirmed train gods that we could discuss. Yes. Like I said, it's a deeply similar path to the one we just took, but one that I wanted to get into anyway. All right, all right. Uh, and it, it is, like, explicitly the god of the trains insofar as, like, the Wikipedia page of the plot of Starlight Express uh, talks about how the main character, Rusty, literally prays to the Starlight Express in the Act 1 finale titled Starlight Express. Uh, nice. And then later in Act 2, Rusty prays to the Starlight Express again, but this time, the Starlight Express answers him <laughs> and comes and sings to him and says, Hey, man, you don't need me. You have Starlight inside of you, like all trains. 
Oh, goodness. Yeah. So, so we have a story that is based off of the material we're talking about. Yes. And this story confirms, hey, in case you were wondering, every train is a bit of a god. Yeah, like when I read that, I was like, oh, okay, well, this is this is it. This is this is the this is literally exactly what we say about trains is that they are part gods and the train god from the train musical came to one of the trains and said, hey, you all have part of my mysticism abilities within you. So don't even worry about praying to me. You've got it, Rusty. When you're train race i think from what i could tell from the synopsis i read the plot is actually really similar to planes the first planes movie and that it's a race that makes no sense and he's i mean trying to impress a, di- a passenger car and a, an a observation car named pearl but she doesn't like him isn't that like all of the cars movies a yeah, race but that doesn't least... really make sense the Cars movies, at least they sort of... I mean, they're cars that are racing. Cars 2, less so, but it's just a series of races around the world. Uh, planes, it doesn't make sense for the planes to be racing in the way they do. And I gotta imagine watching Starlight Express, <laughs> you don't fully understand the race, because it's actually just people in weirdly bulky costumes, roller skating. Uh... <laughs> around you at surprisingly high speeds fair fair and also at some point they are confirmed to have god powers yes they are in fact confirmed that okay yeah so at the beginning of all of this i said i'm gonna rip off the band-aid say the easy one and then i said oh it's magic and you didn't stop and immediately say, well, actually, easier one, God powers confirmed all trains. John, I have to give people a reason to listen further into the episode. You know? Yeah, but you could have just said that and not explained it till the end. That, that is your conversational style, John, is to say things and not explain them. No, I explain them. When I'm good and ready. <laughs> you explain them when people ask what you mean. <laughs> I steal your attention and then use your attention until it's almost all used up. And then I explain. <laughs> I once described John in when admittedly you were worse about this, in at least in my head, in the past. I once described John's conversational style as the clickbait of conversations. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I think I was particularly annoyed at the day, the time, though. You're not that bad, and you weren't at the time. But I mean, it depends on the the day. Like, so when I have all of my medication and I am well rested and whatnot, uh, I am a very different person than if all of that is true and I have not taken Adderall. Sure. And when I have not taken Adderall. I'm very much the clickbait of conversation, except much worse because it's not intentional. Sure, that's fair. It's interesting thing pops into my head. 
I have three conversations with myself about it. And then you hear one part of it. (laughs) Completely out of context. Yeah. And if you are my brothers, you can follow. If you're my father, you can follow. Uh, But otherwise, good chance you're just going to be curious and confused and very quickly dismayed. I like to think I've gotten better at following. I'm probably not on the level of like your blood relatives, but I think I've gotten decent at it over the years. Well, the Uh, thing about my blood relatives is they also do it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's it's a uh, four-dimensional thinking where uh, time is extremely relevant to us and no one else because we can be talking about something we haven't necessarily conveyed yet or something we conveyed a while back and we'll just switch between all three of the tenses with <laughs> no regard or respect for time. And you know, isn't that time travel? Pretty much. Yeah. But anyway, we just dropped the the fact that in Starlight Express, all trains are sort of gods. Uh, and then, you know, appropriate to the conversation topic, got distracted immediately. Uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have long postulated yes. that trains are gods or demigods in this universe as they have set out and tracked and trekked throughout the world, creating the world as they went. And like unto a god, they are like unto nature, in which they do not choose where they go, they just go where they can. And they exist, a being of extreme power, but no controllable direction. Because it's the thing that makes the most sense. God is existence itself, and it's like a train. You move forward, and you have a specific path you can take. People who get angry are like, it's reasonable to want to be angry at this system, but you're angry at the world for the way it works, but the world can't change the way it works. It just keeps going. And it's, it's a a long postulated theory of ours that has essentially been confirmed. If we believe that these are in fact, in fact, attached universes. Yes, which at the very least in this episode is what we're positing, because that's what these are. Mm -hmm. And the worst part is, seeing as how we came up with that theory, and then we found this out today, and these are multiple years apart, and we're not associated at all, uh, it gives me strong reason to believe that these are in fact connected, and this is the connection. (laughs) This is it, you know? Mm-hmm. because just learning how many things are oh i really liked this so i made this like i hadn't even thought about well i'm sure i've thought about it before but something pointed out the whole oh yeah you know the four houses and how they were started by four people y- you ever think about how those four people are the the kids from lion witch in the wardrobe Oh, yeah, I have seen uh, that theory of, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and And like, like, it really does help you with the whole, why is there a Slytherin? Why is there a Slytherin? And then you think about it, oh, it's because, like, he wasn't a bad kid. 
he just needed to learn his lesson and seeking power isn't necessarily bad. It just is almost always bad. And you don't have to be a bad person per se, but you do need to learn the ways in which it can be okay. Man, poor Edmund. Yeah. And it's also fun to, to like think about those theories and then think like, why genuinely, why is that of like, well, I mean, it kind of makes sense to have a brave one, a smart one, a nice one, and a not as nice one as just like a nice storytelling device. An ambitious one. I mean, yeah, but that's not really, that's not really how they're portrayed. Yeah, I mean, it's how I would portray uh, a lot of ambitious people. Yeah. (laughs) Because I have throughout my life, you know, you're taught at a young age, the people who are best at leading are the people who don't want to lead or the people who are have greatness thrust upon them per se but the people who lead are the people who ask to lead and do it the most insistently the more just obnoxiously the squeaky wheel gets the grease uh doesn't mean it needs it sometimes just a bad wheel sometimes it's a bad wheel oh boy but yeah but yeah, these these trains are. I mean, I mean they got god powers. Like we don't need to get into the details of like they just started to use them <laughs> and killed people, or enslaved, or, or did a Uno reverse card on their enslavement, and then that was that. <laughs> yeah. Now we do have the whole. Well, they exist in a pocket universe, and there is the whole, uh, well, uh, if that one train who is like the god of that universe is outside for too long, they lose their godhood a bit. Uh, so maybe there's something to that, or maybe they get more powerful somehow because of these books. I'm sorry? I didn't follow that quite so well. So... Where does their power come from? In the Starlight Express? <laughs> in, or? in Thomas the Tank Engine. Uh, they, there's a god train, and she's kind of the creator of the series. Okay, but where does their... Steam. All right, it's their usefulness. Yes, okay, thank you. <laughs> their existence cool. is based on their usefulness which in turn could mean that their power is based on their usefulness. And the beauty of it is they've switched usefulness. And this is extreme capitalism marker. How is it that they become vastly more powerful, more powerful than they have any right to be? They were working hard. They were really useful tank engines. Yeah. They were doing their job. But what comes along and exponentially increases the amount they receive, even though you cannot ethically earn that much media. Yes. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm following it when you answer the questions, but I'm not getting to the answer sometime to do a call and response. So this book comes out. 
then more books follow, and then they get representation in uh, TV and film. They become more and more popular. They get CG. So their usefulness goes from being engines to being entertainment. And their usefulness as entertainment is far exceeding their usefulness as engines. Because as we've discussed, they're being replaced for a reason. But when they're useful in entertainment, they have something that is far more valuable than work or hard work or effort or being good. Novelty. That one I wasn't going to get to. Uh, That's why I just went ahead and said it. I appreciate it. (laughs) Novelty, for some reason, is so valuable to people. It's the idea behind it. It's this support. It's this weird worship of... Here's something we can share. Here's something that can entertain. Here's something that can take up our time that we can talk about, that we can all enjoy. And it's why hero worship is a thing. It's why uh, we have idols that are just, oh, it's why there's a show called American Idol. It's the idea of people gather around things in media, figureheads, all these things, celebrity, and they just throw their money at it because it's something that can unite us, entertain us, distract us. It's all of these things. And it's novel. And that is how you get a form of wealth. But all of the wealth isn't going to the performers. They're getting power from it, of course. But who's really getting all of the like power from it is the person who is obsessed with these engines. The person who's obsessed with these engines is the man who created the whole thing. So he gets all this notoriety, all this fame and whatnot. But when he's gone, the show persists. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to throw out a eat the rich message without like having obvious intention behind it. But when there is no man on the top to take from the people who are earning it, then the people who are earning it and when I say earning, keep in mind, obviously you cannot deserve that much money. Sure. Uh, the power goes to them. It's like the trickle down, trickle down economics, except it actually worked because you shattered the first glass that kept getting bigger to absorb all of it. Yeah. So there's this massive reservoir of a, a wine. The wine flute was so massive. Now it's spilling down and all uh, of the, all of the trains, get the power they get the god power and they finally have enough power to leave their dimension they get all that power they leave their dimension because their usefulness is now media it's novelty so they enter our world and what do they do with that power make it they destroy humanity (laughs) okay i'm going to distill that i think you did a great job it took some turns so i'm going to distill it just to make sure i've got that and our audience has that because of the 2000 movie thomas and the magic rail something who knows what it's called uh which establishes a there is a train god and b that thomas the tank engine takes place in a pocket dimension of our own universe uh you are saying that the trains, because they have each have a bit of godhood within them, uh, it is powered by usefulness. <laughs> because 
the media portrayals of them become so powerful and more quote unquote useful to capitalism by generating more revenue, uh, their power grows. And when the show's creator who is taking so much of that quote unquote usefulness uh, is gone and can go straight into the uh, tank engines themselves, thus inflating their powers, they broke out of their pocket dimension and took over our universe. Did I get that pretty much right? Yes. Okay. Incredible. One of our, that's one of our more esoteric ones, man. And I love here's, it. Here's one thing. There are two people created, uh, uh, credited as creators of Thomas. Yeah. One of them has passed and one of them has not. So according to my theory, uh, the passing of the next one will lead to another greater surge in strength and power. So what you're sort of soft implying here is when this other person passes away, we'll be the apocalypse in the real world, our world. Yes. Okay, great. Good stuff. Is the other one, the one who is the self insert God in that movie? No. Okay. That is the showrunner. Okay. Well, maybe, Maybe because they're a self-insert, they've distilled themselves into the show so much that they can control it and prevent this apocalypse. from. Now, I'm fairly certain the showrunner is still alive and kicking and is comparatively very young. Sure, but they have established themselves as a figure within the Thomas the Tank Engine universe for all perpetuity. Uh, Which could mean, what have we discussed many times? Think uh, one division. Cars. <laughs> I'm trying, man. I really am. I don't know what's happening. I I can't do. Don't stop with the call and response. Just say what you want to say. All right. Um, <clears throat> a person who exists in multiple nexus. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Perhaps the showrunner is a nexus. Thank you, John. Great point. <laughs> And all of the power of the tank engines will go into this one person. And I guess that's why they're a god already in the in the movie. Mm-hmm. And much to think about. Gonna throw this out there a million times. You cannot deserve this much money and power. Yeah, that's if you take one thing from our podcast, it shouldn't be stuff about cars. It should be that. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. I think we got there pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I imagine, okay, I mentioned how it became a car-centric instead of train-centric world. Mm-hmm. And I think it's not too hard to get there in that, like, the trains were, like, subjugated so much that they kind of just wanted to be left alone mm-hmm. is, is my basic guess to it. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you know, we don't want to run the show. We just want to live simple lives and not live in fear constantly of being trapped forever or killed mm-hmm. so we're going to take over this world there are already trains are not the only sentient beings in tom thomas the tank engine there are cars and boats and planes and helicopters so they're like you know you have it we'll be in the background just doing our thing we can still we can still be a part of the system you know we'll transport some goods just don't you know threaten to kill us if we don't want to do it a certain day mm-hmm Here's my theory on it. The tank engines are not born. They're built. True. 
that means people have to build them. So they come out and they destroy the people. They don't know how to build. What do they know how or know about? They know about scrapping and turning one into others or using parts from one for others. So they know how to take sources and fuse those sources together. So when they come out and there is a world full of people that they're going to get rid of, and there's a world full of cars that they don't have anything else to do with, what they do is, hey, you're subjugating us, you are using us, you are tearing us apart. How would you like a taste of your own medicine? So they take all the people, all the cars, they tear them apart, and they put them back together. I mean... It's not a world ruled by trains because the trains don't know how to build trains. They might know how to make Frankenstein monster trains, but they don't know how to build trains. So what they do is they just rebuild everything else. And let's face it, they don't want to make more versions of themselves if they're this tortured being. And you don't want to be the person who sews together a bunch of your oppressors with other machines to make yourself. You don't want to talk to that person who is the creation that you made from your enemy. So you don't make trains. You just make cars, boats, every other kind of vehicle. I do like that. I and like that's that why lot. there aren't specifically more steam engines. Yeah. Which means that our theory about trains is only half true. Trains are demigods simply because... They are like, but not actually the deities, because the only deities are specifically the steam engines. I do like that quite a bit. I'm going to do one more twist on it. Mm -hmm. uh, this is the direction I thought you were going to go, is that trains come over, they take over, and like you said, they don't know how to build things. Mm -hmm. But they haven't killed everyone yet. All right. So... They become the keepers of one of our favorite things to do, the underground race of people called the manufacturer. Mm -hmm. They, in turn, counter-subjugate the human race and are... The reason we don't see much about trains is Pixar don't want to show us the manufacturer stuff, and that's most of trains' jobs. Mm -hmm. uh, and we've got even better uh, reasoning for that. Their whole motivation... Hey, humans, uh, we know that you specifically are the people who built us. You're the only humans that get to live. That's why they're named the manufacturer. Mm. They're specifically the manufacturer of the trains. And they're around and they do what they do because if they aren't really useful, they get killed. I do like that, and I do like the added layer of, like, part of the reason we never see the manufacturer and they're able to get around is, like, that's what's in the trains, especially mm -hmm. the passenger ones, is is the manufacturer. Thing. And like, even better, it's, it's specifically the trains you never see, the steam engines. Yeah. I like that, as the, the trains being their system of... Uh, of transportation to secretly get the manufacturer around and their secret oppression, their counter oppressors. 
And how do they get around, Lucas? Trasks. Starlight. Yeah, Starlight. <laughs> On the Starlight Express. I tried. I thought I had that one because, like, that's how trains get around. Yeah. No, you got me. Uh, they get around uh, Legend of Zelda spirit tracks. Hell yeah. <laughs> that's about a ghost train. Maybe I haven't played it. I think the spirit is a separate thing. I think that's the one where Zelda's a ghost. Is that the spirit in spirit tracks? Yeah. She's a spirit who inhabits a suit of armor. Weird concept for it, but, you know, it worked with Wind Waker. The tra- the transportation part, not Zelda being a ghost. That part's still weird. Yeah. I don't remember much of Spirit Tracks. I do remember the train. I mean, I, that's, I think most of it is riding around on a train. All right. I feel like we've gotten there. You feel like we've gotten there? I feel like we've gotten there. All right, then we got to, John, you know we got to rank this stuff because that's something we do with Origins. So let's start with fun. How much fun did you have with this one, Johnny? Out of 10. Uh, let's go 8 out of 10. Yeah, this one this one was, was a good amount of fun. Uh, it had some amount of challenge to it in that, like, we got to a magic explanation, but, like, there were some details that we still had to work out, and that was mm-hmm. fun. And I got to talk about the Starlight Express, which is always pretty good. And we threw in Repo the Genetic Opera, which you is know, weird. Yeah. So I think an 8 out of 10 sounds about right for me as well. All right. And then let's go likelihood, John. Well, we've got two likelihoods to go by. Uh, one is, well, because magic, so 10. And unfortunately, the second is, like, we know the motivation we have connections we never even predicted would be there. I think it's a solid nine. Just like it's got everything you need. It's got method, motivation, and the other one. Means motive. motive. No, it's means. <laughs> it's no, you... means motive uh medication. That's it. That's the famous one. Yep. Let's see. I'm gonna go eight for this one i think we we got there super well but the the sort of hazy connection to starlight express knocks it a bit and also the fact that the trains seem very complacent and docile uh, and not willing to overturn their oppressors in thomas but other than that this one's this one's pretty strong oh lucas are you forgetting maybe are you forgetting the uh i forget what they're called but the little not engines that definitely couldn't. Oh yeah, the the the, the mischief makers. The, yeah, the, the little buckets of coal. That's not what yeah. they're called. But we already have little gremlin beings that are like, hey, let's sow chaos. We already know that there is an uprising somewhere. That's true. All right, I'll bump it up to a nine. You got me. All right, and I was gonna also say like. The hazy connection is we know that Starlight Express is based off of. Yeah, and it's so, it's not really, but it kind of is. It, it's it's, it's not. based off of the like of trains that comes from and yeah. the appreciation of trains because of. Yeah, it's based on in the fact that Andrew Lloyd Webber just seems to be into trains because of those books. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... I, th- I still think knocking off a little for that is fair. All right. But that's an episode of a podcast if I've ever heard one, John. And I've All heard right. some of them. So now, the problem is, what are you counting as heard? Because I haven't heard the edit. 
That's true. What if the editor messes it up real bad? Well. Or what if the editor does too good a job? Like, what if it's so high quality that we can't, in good conscience, call it anything other than a 30-minute poem? I like the assumption that comes along with that, that to make it really good, the editor would have to cut out at least 27 minutes of content. Uh, I don't know how uh, that works, but maybe. I mean, yeah. No, I mean. But here's the thing. To turn it into something so high quality that it can't be called something other than a poem, I imagine that you're going to have to take out a lot. No, I don't disagree. Just it's a bit of a self-burn at the same time. But yeah, that's the end of the podcast. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Big ups to JT for confirming that he wanted to hear this. Uh, I had a lot of fun with this one, as indicated by my 8 out of 10 fun score. We should do that just on every episode. (laughs) Give it a fun score of how much fun we had doing it. But I did have fun. Uh, And thank you for inspiring us to do it. JT and also John last week. All right. Thank you, JT. If you want to be like JT, a hero, <laughs> you can do so by connecting with us either through our email, which is the at gmail.com, or on the hell site uh, that Elon Musk makes that I'm not going to call its real name. That is, unfortunately, its real name now. Uh, and you, that, our account on that is at the Kachat. <laughs> so find us on there. Now John says this part of the outro. Remember to like, comment, subscribe, tell anyone and everyone you think might be the least bit interested in this kooky, quirky, strange little podcast. And until next time, remember to float like a Cadillac. And sting like a beamer.